Welcome to the Solid Verbal. The Solid Verbal. Come after me! I'm a man! I'm 40! I've heard so many players say, well, I want to be happy. You want to be happy for a day? Eat a steak. It's that woo-woo! And now, Dan and Ty. Welcome back to the Solid Verbal Boys and Girls. My name is Ty Hildebrandt. Joining me, as always, somewhere out there on this big blue marble, the one and only Dan Rubenstein. Sir, how you doing? I'm pretty good, Ty. I'm surviving. Uh, the sleep is a little bit strange, but can't fully complain. I, I'm currently in a home office. I think we've broadcast one show from here. And I just before we hit record, I looked at the books available to me. And I see a gigantic book on the band Fish, Anthony Bourdain's Kitchen Confidential, Alternative Energy for Dummies, mm. and Birds of Illinois. So you can take your pick of any of those if you're ever here, Ty. <laughs> you will be educated thusly. So I'm good, Ty. I'm, I'm very encouraged by my options. That's a lifetime of entertainment right there, Dan. <laughs> We hope that everyone out there is equally as entertained listening to this show. Again, we are the Solid Verbal. I'm Ty. He's Dan. Going out to our website at solidverbal.com. You can find all of our old stuff there and subscribe to the show. Of course, wherever you get your podcasts, right? You get it at Spotify, you go so. on Apple, Google, anywhere. Anywhere you get your shows, you can find our show. We're going to be going uh, for as long as this offseason goes. And then eventually, once the <laughs> season starts up, I promise you we will be back talking about college football. We'll get to that portion of the show in a little bit. Don't forget to follow along on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook. And also, if you like the show, going out to our subreddit at solidverbal.reddit.com. Sign up for the subreddit. Continue the conversation long after the final bell. And what did I forget? The newsletter. Yes. While you're on our oh, website, because yeah. I know everyone out there is staking out our website there's a sign-up form for the newsletter. Sign up for that. Uh, Five-star reviews. Let's just empty the clip here, Dan. Anything else <laughs> that we need to get out of the way in terms of housekeeping? I've got a new shirt ready to go, Ty. You tell me. Do you? I've got a new solid verbal shirt that has been approved by the powers that be. Did I Wait, did as, I see this you. one? This one is, yes, you did see this shirt and you liked it a lot. Cool. You All said right. it's pretty risque and we've never gone here conceptually in terms of what this shirt shows and bears. Right. But okay, you said it's a right. new time for the solid verbal, especially now that we signed with WME, that we really have to put ourselves out there. And this shirt literally does that. That's what I think your words were. So I'm yeah. ready to roll. All right. Well, with that being said, uh, let's just jump yeah. right in. Let's do it. We have... Oh my God! You really went for it there. Is this the the Cal thing? This is this is the many cups of coffee thing first and foremost. But <laughs> okay, let's start with the Cal thing. California has announced your your native homeland, Daniel. Yeah, are you talking state or Berkeley? Because there's a Berkeley news story too that they're going fully online this fall. I don't have that one. I was talking about yeah, the, that just broke. The California Interscholastic Federation, but do we want to start oh. with Berkeley instead? What's going on up there? No, they're just, they are regretful, but they're going to online learning only this fall. It's uh, an announcement that comes on the heels of some other schools. You know, we saw the Cal State announcement a few weeks back, USC uh, having that announcement, uh, I guess, a couple weeks ago now. Uh, but yeah, more and more, I, I guess, big schools as Berkeley is. Berkeley is a power five school going to online learning only, which doesn't mean that there isn't necessarily going to be an on-field product this this fall for the, the Cal Bears. But it certainly is not a movement in the right direction. And we talked about that a little bit optics-wise with Nicole Auerbach, how a school can go, can go from saying, we don't feel like students in classrooms is the way to go from a public health perspective, but we're still cool with football players. That's a tough optic sell, but there still will be an optic sell if there is that continued desire to play a season uh, on the Berkeley campus. I think that's right. Okay, so the story that I had previously listed atop our news sheet, is that the California Interscholastic Federation. CIF. CIF. It's the governing body for the state of high school sports in California. They announced on Monday the earliest their football season and the remainder of their fall sports will start is December. 
2020. The move, as you might expect, could have a major impact on college football recruiting. It could set a precedent, not just in the state of California, but other states amid the coronavirus pandemic. I saw uh, also that they might push it off to 2021. The earliest they would consider, again, is December or January. So, uh, you know, in light of this news, in light of the Berkeley news, I don't know if there's a drumbeat. I don't know if there's momentum. I don't know what you want to call it or classify it as, but I, I feel like we are very quickly coming to that point of, hey, the spring's not so bad. We could find a way to make the spring work. Potentially, yeah. I mean, a, a move like this, which is certainly not going, isn't the first and won't be the last in terms of major state high school systems postponing football and fall sports. It has just enormous ramifications. When you think about the players who might decide to forego their senior year of high school football if they're committed somewhere or uh, anticipate committing somewhere and enrolling early instead of playing in a December or January season or starting in December or January, we're talking about players getting fewer reps, uh, less experience, less coaching, Uh, In terms of players who would have made a jump recruiting wise because of a strong senior year, either because, you know, maybe they had to sit out their junior year because they were in the midst of a transfer and weird academic shuffling occurred or they were hurt their junior year. Uh, It's going to affect the depth of classes on the power five level. It might actually improve classes on the G5 level. You know, if we're going to specifically look at California, you know, schools like uh, San Jose State, Nevada, Boise State, um, you know, uh, I'm thinking about San Diego State, whatever. Uh, Mountain West schools, specifically closer to the West Coast, they're the ones that might not have their best players poached after having huge senior years by Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, Stanford, whatever. And so those schools might be fortifying their classes a little bit better. But in the end, I think it's it's a big negative in terms of the, how oh, it yeah. affects college football and high school football. I mean, it's a California high school football is. It's not, I suppose, Texas or Florida or Georgia or Ohio in terms of cultural importance, but in terms of the numbers big that state, it puts into major college football, it's huge. State, big state. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else? So the Southwestern Athletic Conference, the SWAC, yeah. has postponed fall sports and championships because of the pandemic. They have begun plans to push the fall schedule to the spring semester, according to a statement that was provided to ESPN on Monday. The plans for football include a seven-game conference schedule that begins with an eight-week training period in January. Commissioner Charles McClellan said games would begin near the end of February or beginning of March. Each school will play six conference games, four divisional, two non-divisional, with the option to play one non-con game. So, again, perhaps a bit of a trickle-up effect maybe starting at the high school level, working all the way up to major college football, but Southwestern Athletic Conference jumping on in. Uh, to my knowledge, the, the first athletic conference to sort of just go all out and say, we're going to try and do this in the spring. I don't think many right. others have tried to do that yet. Meanwhile, in the great state of Texas, uh, clinging to hope, I think that we might have something this fall. There's a headline here on ESPN that Texas is aiming for 50% capacity at football games. The University of Texas says it anticipates hosting football games, 50% capacity in the stands. Chris Del Conte, their AD, emailed season ticket holders on Monday, told them that the school is working closely with the governor's office, following state guidelines on social distancing amid the pandemic. Um, this strikes me as extremely wishful thinking, but the kind of the kind of communications that at this juncture you need to send out because we've got the SEC, we've got the ACC, we've got the Big 12. None of them have formally committed to the whole conference only games thing. Certainly there hasn't there hasn't been much public in the way of moving the season altogether to a different semester. Uh, I understand why they send this out, but 
again, given recent circumstances and, and the news of the world, it, it does feel a little bit like wishful thinking. Yeah, not exactly a plan. Not exactly a plan. It's more of optimism. I'm aiming to have an eight pack and toss down windmill dunks by the end of the year. <laughs> but I, that's just something I'm aiming for. That doesn't necessarily mean it's based in reality. And Texas right now is not one of the better states in terms of public health and the ability to not just flatten, but really put a dent in COVID-19. If you look at, you know, the hospitalization rate and the infection rate as, you know, as it relates to testing, Texas is not in a fantastic place. And I know, uh, you know, Austin's obviously a bigger city within Texas and it's just, it's rough. Houston's in a bad place. I... It's hard to imagine with how Texas specifically and and a lot of major college football states have done a pretty poor job and are seeing pretty big spikes. You look at the the per capita numbers throughout the South, California, Arizona, now Nevada. It's I think your term of wishful thinking is is probably the accurate one. This is not a state that has made sound decisions along the way. And it's very hard to make sound decisions. I know because this is such a new thing. But of all the states that are being optimistic about getting live action in front of people, even a 50% capacity situation, this, this feels a bit out of reality. To our earlier point from a show or two ago, if a school like Texas decides, ah, we can't do this, then you'll see some real dominoes. But for sure. now, 50% capacity, we'll, we'll stick to that company line and, hey, we'll hope for the best. I want to see football sooner than later, but... Um, well, time will tell. Elsewhere, amid this uh, seemingly weird time for scheduling in college football, we had the Alabama athletic director shooting down Notre Dame as a 2020 opponent. Uh, BYU is reportedly targeted as sure. a week one replacement. So you might recall Alabama had USC on the schedule week one. That game's not going to happen because of the Pac-12's announcement. And so Alabama's basically out there trying to figure out, all right, well, who else could we play? BYU, as it stands, is looking for games as well. And so the the reports are that that could be your opener because BYU, I think, had Utah for the Holy War week one. And now that they're both looking for some action, BYU could obviously fill that fill that gap. Correct. Yeah. I mean, BYU as an independent school has to be pretty terrified of what their schedule could look like the more and more, especially with the Pac-12 going uh, conference only slate this fall. It's they're in a tough spot and it, and it makes sense for Alabama and Alabama, I believe, has a home and home on the books with Notre Dame already. Correct. Yeah. In 2028 and 2029. So a bit, a bit yeah. off, um, a bit off in the future. I know we talked to Pete Sampson last week. He I think mentioned that to Brian Kelly and he said Brian Kelly's eyes got real big. Yeah, and good for Alabama for not just, you know, if the USC game is officially off the books, good for Alabama for finding a team that just beat USC and scheduling up. I like it. Yeah. And the final news bullet here, again, something just to keep your eyes on. Iowa's coach, Kirk Ferentz, was apparently aware of racial bias within the program after a 2018 internal investigation that is per a document acquired by Hawkeye Nation. They filed a FOIA request to see that internal report. Uh, Iowa had created a diversity task force. They found that black players were targeted for more drug testing. They weren't informed of resources available to student athletes, more harshly punished, expected to conform to culture that the white players set. A lot of bad stuff in there. Verbal harassment by coaches uh, the report was supposedly read by Kirk Ferentz in 2019, according to Hawkeye Nation, but he only made some minor changes to the culture of the program prior to last season. Not fully shocking, given the comments that we, we've seen recently. And it was all sort of set off by James Daniels and Amani Hooker and talking about the culture of Iowa football and how, you know, one of the things in the report that comes up a, a term a lot, and they interviewed a number of players was it was double standard and the desire from those in charge at Iowa to, as you mentioned, conform black players to white culture and to Iowa culture. And there is there is a certain degree of, yes, you enroll at a school, you become part of a college football program, you, you try to become a part of that program's culture. But when it's 
when it's drawn along racial lines, it's tough, Ty. It was a tough read. And I'm sure Kirk Ferentz sort of adjusted the way Iowa's football program did things when he knew only he and a select few were reading this report. And now that many people have seen this report, it seems like he's taking on a different tone. I just don't know how many chances Kirk Ferentz gets. And I I understand that when you win football games and you have prolonged success like Iowa's had in in a very tough Big Ten that you're afforded more opportunity and more leeway. But geez, he's... He's had a chance over, what, 20 years yeah. to sort of become more inclusive and get to know the players in his within his program and to sort of uh, build the culture around the people he brings into it instead of just how he believes, you know, 19-year-olds should behave. I, I don't know, Ty. This just – it feels increasingly tone deaf from Kirk Ferentz and so – I, I don't know what's going to happen because he has certainly accumulated a good amount of power there. But the Iowa football program is under a magnifying glass like they've never been. And this is it's not a pretty read at all. That's what I said. Keep your keep your eyes peeled here. This feels yeah. like uh, feels like there's more to come. OK, yeah. um, so look, if you've got news that you want to discuss again, it's solidverbal at Gmail dot com. We read all the messages. We want to do our part to. Keep the conversation going here in the long, cold, the longest night of college football as we wait for the next season to arrive. Um, On our show a week ago, we talked about some stuff, didn't we, Dan? We did. I mean, we always talk about some stuff, but you put a pin in a certain topic and said, okay, this is something that we can discuss for at least 27 to 38 (laughs) minutes next week. And I agreed with you. And so here we are. What we did a week ago was we did our college football bangers episode. And essentially what that was, was us looking at schedules as they stand right now, mm-hmm. conference schedules, and putting together like the most baller five game slate for a number of teams. And at the very end of that conversation, you started kicking around ideas for the postseason. What happens in the postseason? If you've got an abbreviated season, how do you how do you determine a champion? How do you even think about determining that champion? And we decided then and there, live on the air. Yeah, it's always going to be Pitt. It's just going to be Pitt no matter what. That's what we, we settled on. The question du jour is what do we do with bowls and the whole process of finding a champion in a bunch of different scenarios? So why don't, let's start here, okay? Let's start with a scenario in which we've got a full 12 game season for some. And so I guess what the SEC, the ACC and the big 12, they fill in some some gaps. We talked about Alabama, BYU, and they're, they're turning to, to other conferences and to each other to, to fill in gaps left by potentially the, the PAC 12 and big 10. So we got a full 12 game season for three power five conferences. And then we have an adjusted season for some of the other ones. So I'm assuming our first scenario here is like an asymmetrical season. Some teams play 12, some teams play 10, maybe some teams don't even get to 10. Yes. How do we determine a champion, Dan? Have you thought about this? Do we do bowls? What what does that look like? What if I told you that some conferences play eight conference games and some play nine in an ordinary season? Sometimes teams play... FCS school, sometimes teams don't. What if I told you college football is an already asymmetrically scheduled sport? What if I told you that? I would tell um, you that you're pretty close here, Dan. This is um, this is probably the best of the best case scenarios. Yes. Um, oh, it's I absolutely not, the best of the best. I have not heard much of anyone talking about a full 12-game slate if they're able to pull off a season this fall. It seems like 10 is the number. When I talked to Pete last week, he said 10. Been reading a lot of articles out there talking about how 10 games might be might be an appropriate target. I don't know if it's a realistic target. I just it right. seems like 12 is probably too many at this point, but for the purposes of of conversation and this thought exercise, if that were the case, I don't think it would look all that different than it does right now, right? Like you could still do most of the same stuff. Schedules might be a little bit different, and I'm sure logistically that would be a headache for athletic directors and and the powers that be. But 
ultimately a little bit of an asymmetrical season isn't the end of the world. That would be that would be pretty good. So as we've now learned, the point of college football happening at all is largely going to be the money. It's more of the season being more important financially than the postseason or the idea of not necessarily the postseason, because obviously there's a lot of money in the postseason. There's bowl money and, and college football playoff money and all sorts of TV money tied up in that. But the point of college football in 2020 specifically is not to name a champion. Can we agree? It's more of the season just unfolding at all. That's that's the big goal as we stand in late July. Is that Does that make sense? That makes sense to me, yeah. Okay. So a champion would be amazing. It would be incredible to figure out a way to have a champion. But the first step is just figuring out if there's going to be a season. If a season can happen at all, that's the actual big win. The national champion, I think, is sort of despite the fact right at this point, because we don't know if it's going to be moved to spring, canceled altogether. So if we can have a full on season, that's already the win. So I'm not as concerned about naming a national champion, but I guess I've never been as as concerned about naming a national champion. Um, what I would probably do in terms of if I'm thinking about public health, if I'm t- thinking about bowl games and saying, OK, well, this is a, a big financial hit if we don't have bowl games. Let's figure out a way to have have them in a safe and responsible way. I suppose it's just taking a week after the regular season, taking that week off. So an additional bye week after. And I don't think we need conference championship games either, Ty. To me, that just seems, especially when you look at recent results, sure, you're going to have some years where you have Alabama, Georgia, and it's a huge deal and they haven't played each other during the regular season. But even when you look at last year, it was not a particularly exciting slate of conference championship games. It didn't really prove all that much. I know Oregon-Utah was the big one uh, in terms of, okay, th- these are two teams that are highly ranked and we don't have a clear sense of who's better going in, whereas Ohio State had already beaten Wisconsin. Clemson-Virginia was sort of a, a clear foregone conclusion. Um, LSU-Georgia, I suppose, on a certain level, but Georgia had lost to South Carolina. Oklahoma-Baylor had already played each other. So I just, I just get rid of that and we just rely on ranking. Um, in terms of bowl games take a week off and then my inclination because fans won't be traveling to the Bahamas or Tampa or Texas or Tempe or anything like that I guess Glendale is you just have home site bowl games in whichever state is better off from a public health perspective home site the Duke's Mayo Bowl in Eugene Oregon would be that would be something I don't know that the Pac-12 has a tie-in to the Duke's Mayo game, yeah, but yeah, that be that'd be something. fine by me. I, you keep uh, you keep 50% of travel completely off the table, and in terms of safety, there's going to be hotels available for these teams to come in, and you're going to get some a lot of northern sites hosting bowl games, which is not ideal, but this, again, we're not doing this for commerce and travel and tourism. So if we're doing this purely for TV... We know that the stadiums, the home stadiums are outfitted for TV. That that would be my bowl proposal. And sorry, you know, Orlando. Sorry. I mean, in the case of UCF, they'll be hosting a game if, if Florida is fine. But sorry, all of these bowl sites. It's not your year. You'll, there'll be TV cash, but no, you're not hosting it in any of these places where two teams have to travel. And then in terms of a college football playoff tie, I'm thinking Rose Bowl bubble. Rose Bowl bubble. Hmm. Yep. Yep. I'm thinking we have enough hotels to to house four potential teams. I mean, we could talk about Vegas. Obviously, Vegas has the hotel availability. I'd rather have it be outside if given the the choice in mid-December in a warm place outside. So hotels and outdoors... I think I think the Rose Bowl is obvious, even though it's going to be very strange to watch a Rose Bowl with limited to no fans. That would be my pitch for the playoff. If there's going to be a four-team playoff... That's that's where I think where I'm at. Or we could go 14 playoff with the semis, as I mentioned, with bowl games at home sites, which I'm always in favor of. But uh, that's a pretty distinct advantage for if, if the national for champion. And, yeah. Yes. For a team, that's a pretty distinct advantage. If uh, all of the sudden Clemson has to travel to Norman or... Alabama has to travel to Eugene or something like that. It's a it's first pretty off. Hold huge. on, hold on, hold on. First off, yeah, yeah, I'm ready. This is sort of like a fever dream for you. Okay, phrasing, but yes, just from this standpoint, we could in effect throw out the current ranking system, the current committee ranking system for a year. Sure, 
And I think that's one of the things that I wanted to discuss here as we get into this. I have that down as a bullet point. You know, I think I at college football did this for a long time. There are still many folks such as yourself who actually prefer that methodology. Mm-hmm. It It is interesting to me that we might revert back to it for a year in a season where we've got teams playing different numbers of games, a mm-hmm. postseason that feels... Um, you know, sketchy at best, where we don't really have it fleshed out, where maybe playing those extra three playoff games in total is not feasible. We don't have a bubble site that we can do it in. We we can't logistically do the bubble. That There's a lot of stuff that we don't know at this point, but I do think that is potentially the most feasible option to revert back to where we used to be, maybe not even play a bowl game at all, and then just have folks vote on it. Maybe you can expand the pool of eligible voters. Maybe we get a vote on the show. I don't know. But if you really (laughs) want to engage the fan base, open up the number of folks who can vote. And let's just take a good old fashioned vote on this thing. Let's make it a one time, one time only. And then 2021, hopefully we revert back to back to normal circumstances. But um, I think that's got to be on the table. Can I give you my mini bubble idea? Mini bubble? Are you going back to Vancouver? Mini bubble. No. Oh, okay. We're still a bubble in either LA, Vegas. I think Vegas is a dome. It's not uh, a retractable roof. I might I might be mistaken though. And I definitely am not playing in the NFL stadium in LA. That looks like molten American cheese. Right. Um, Wednesday night, because we don't want to keep players, you know, two weeks is a long time to try and quarantine players. I, You know, you start getting into a, a tricky territory with how professionalized it all seems. Wednesday night, four teams, double header. <laughs> each of the games, listen to this, each of the games is only a half. They only play, each game is only two quarters long. And then Sunday or Monday, shortened week. So it's like a five or six day situation. We have a national championship game. Oh, that's, I mean, that's. So we're not playing eight quarters in four days. We're playing six quarters in four days. So you're talking like a minor league baseball scenario where they play two seven inning games as part of a double header instead of two nine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, think about the importance of every snap. In, instead of four quarters. That changes the game a little too much for my, for my. Oh, Ty, come on. It's a different world. All right. So. The first scenario was a full 12 game season for some mm-hmm. adjusted non-conference opponents, obviously, and then a, a different number of games for others. In terms of your idea for just naming a champion, how about this? I'm, I'm saying just stay, stay, staying with nine or 10 games for some full 12 for others. What about we do a BCS pop up here? Who's running the computer? Jerry Palm? Yeah, we got we got Massey, we got Peabody, we got all sorts of people that are spitting into the computer formula. What we bring it back for one last go round, Ty. Just like we're we're finding we're finding Bourne, Jason Bourne in in very rural Indonesia. They find him, they pull him back <laughs> for one last job, Ty. One last job. Call him we're to the bringing, warehouse. They have no idea yeah, why we're they're bringing showing Cade up at Massey the warehouse. back for one last job. All right. All this right. is this well, is what I'm thinking. So you have BCS pop up, or we have a BCS pop up via the college football playoff rankings. So we keep how we get the top two in place, but we're not going full top four. Let me move on to a different scenario. Okay. All right. Something that something that maybe is a little bit more feasible. I don't. I I kind of say that tongue in cheek. Okay. A ten game fall season for everybody. It mm-hmm. goes off without any real hitches. It ends in December as usual. So let's assume for a second that um, maybe the worst case scenario doesn't happen. Maybe teams can find a way to play a 10-game slate in the fall. Maybe it starts a little late. Maybe it ends a little early. Mm-hmm. But, you know, by and large, 10 games Add more bye weeks. Sure. 10 games ain't bad. You can do with that. Sure. So we get 10 games. Um, I... I don't know if that really changes the equation we just discussed, the the whole, uh, you know, rekindling of the BCS or allowing some of our friends in the media to vote again. Like, I don't know if that changes anything in terms of a postseason, uh, but at a minimum, it does kind of put teams on more of a level playing field if they're all playing the same number of games 
And I think it probably makes it easier to determine who a top four would be just because of that. I think it makes it easier. If we're if we're presupposing 10 games, are we assuming conference games only? Because other than the Big 12, who can only play nine unless they like add BYU as a probationary member of some kind for this fall, other than BYU or some other team, some other independent, I don't know if it's Notre Dame, assuming a, a full Big 12 slate, something like that, we're assuming it's just full conference. I think, I think playing we have 10 to. Games, Big 10. We have yeah. to at this okay. point. Yeah. So... With that in mind, we will actually have more data on at least Power 5 teams, but also Group of 5 teams, because they're exclusively playing teams that are on their same talent level, schedule level, resource level, whatever. So we will actually have more data. We will know more about Utah. We will know more about TCU. We will know more about West Virginia. Well, I guess not West Virginia. I guess if they play BYU, sure. But we will know more about these teams than normal. So it actually makes more sense to say, let's just pick two. Pick two. To so, yeah. okay. Well, because if we want to minimize the number of I games. I don't hate because that. If, okay. If we want to minimize the number of games for public health reasons, then it makes sense to go from four teams to two at the end of the year and everybody else just plays bowl games. But we're talking about a very limited number of teams. But because we have more data points, it's easier to say Clemson is definitely deserving or undeserving as we see the rest it was as we see more acc games played than normal or washington state is definitely undeserving or washington state is more deserving because of what they did playing against 10 pack 12 teams whereas they normally play against nine and right. they're not you know they're not inflating themselves by playing you know sacramento state or northern arizona or something like that yeah i i think i think this would be the target honestly if they're going to try and shoot for anything in the fall a 10-game right. slate, minimal hitches, mostly conference games. Maybe you can find some way to to squeeze in a non-conference opponent. I don't know. That, that to me, represents the best possible case scenario here. Again, I think it's wishful thinking. But, you know, I think, I think that would be the target. Because financially, again, 10 is that number you keep hearing. Right. I think they would try for 10 if if at all possible. But more bye uh, weeks. So it's two more bye weeks right. and maybe altered beginning and end. What does Notre Dame do in this situation? They're just going ACC and G5? I guess they're going to see who they can bolt on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You know, again, go and listen to the conversation with Pete from a week ago. He he and I think he's right. I don't think Notre Dame's going to find much difficulty when it comes to seeking out new opponents, someone from the group of five is willing to play Notre Dame. They'll find opponents, but it's just a matter of, you know, how does it, how does it work with the rest of their schedule? And does it help or hurt them if, and when there's a postseason? a lot of variables there. How many ACC teams do they generally play in six. a season? Six. They play six. So if we're talking about an ACC slate in which Notre Dame goes six and zero, oh, and then they fill in everything else with, Ball State and Nevada and who, whoever, and they go 10 and 0 with four G5 schools on their schedule. And we're talking about a, a crazy hypothetical here, but it's tough to put them into anything given that scheduling advantage. But if they go 10 and 0, they will have beaten Clemson. Okay. So that's, that's cool. probably the singular best win of the season by any team if they knock off Clemson. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, there's other very, very good teams in college football and the week-in, week-out grind of playing in the Big 12, Pac-12, SEC, as opposed to playing 60% of a Power 5 schedule. I don't know. I think I think you probably keep them out. So here, here are two of the odd scenarios that I think could be very realistic as well. They start the okay. season expecting a 10-game slate. But because of case spiking or because of who knows really what's going to happen, you have a more of a mixed season. So this is a little bit like the first scenario where you've mm -hmm. got an asymmetrical season, some teams playing more games than others. But what if that number of games is more akin to what we discussed a week ago? What if it's like five games? What if it's what if it's seven games? What if one team plays five games and another team plays ten? How I don't see how you could have an actual postseason in that scenario. I think it would have to come down to a vote. It would be 
a season with an asterisk and they'd have yeah. to figure out some way to kind of denote this one in the record books because five games versus 10, it's, it, it's almost impossible to compare. Yeah, if we're having five versus 10, you just name a champ and we argue about it for however many months uh, just because five and seven game seasons for teams means something probably went pretty wrong health-wise. And so to say, how do we get around this and say, okay, Texas Tech only played six games, Alabama played 10, Wisconsin played eight, um, there's been a big outbreak in West Texas, but because Texas Tech is pretty promising, let's figure out if we can get them in a big bowl game. It just, it feels, is I don't know if icky is the, the coolest word to use here, but it doesn't feel like it's going in the right direction in terms of the spirit of finding a college football champion. Now, from the standpoint of the fan, okay, you know, I've been saying that the spring season to me is the most interesting possibility. Okay. If we are keeping this, though, at least the first part of this conversation in the fall, I think the next most interesting scenario would be a revised and shortened fall season. Maybe it is truly like we discussed a week ago, a five to seven game slate. It ends in early December. You got more bye weeks. Maybe there's delay in there. It's a very weird season. Very weird season. But with each team playing only five games, that is a, a lot of lively college football conversation out on the subreddit. <laughs> on every message board known to man, every college football writer is going to be jumping to um, you know, unsupported conclusions after watching one or two games of a particular team that from, you know, college football is so tribal. What makes mm -hmm. it great is that argument. And I think that's why folks, again, such as yourself, prefer that argument at the end of the year, as opposed to, you know, somebody voting on it and, and putting a couple teams in the playoff to, to duke it out. That argument would certainly be rekindled if each team only played five games. It's very hard to go undefeated over 12 games. It's not that hard <laughs> to go undefeated <laughs> over five. And I understand that the, the quality of the competition, and we discussed this on our banger show, is going to be heightened without having a couple of tune-up games or the ability to to navigate with bye weeks and having, you know, penciled in bye weeks if you're the SEC and scheduling teams from the Southern Conference later in the season to just sort of even out the schedule. I understand it's a more difficult five-game stretch than it normally would be, but... We could have a lot of self-congratulatory national championship declarations. If we're, if we're selecting two teams at the end of a five to seven game season to go and play in a national championship game or four teams to play in a playoff and a 5-0 and team is not named in that, Power 5, G5, whatever, think about how many teams are going to name themselves national champs. Oh, yeah. I am here for it, Ty. <laughs> I am absolutely positively here for it because everybody's going to be left out. It's great. What happens if there is no season at all? Well, I, you still pit. It's still pit, national pit. champ. <laughs> um, if there's no season, then we just move forward i don't i don't know what you do in terms of if there's no season there's gonna be a draft and we're gonna lose promising juniors redshirt sophomores to the nfl draft without playing a final season which is a pretty significant bummer sure but in terms of a postseason i could see okay i could see perhaps rivals scheduling a one-off in the late spring as just a crazy out and out maybe for a month it's a one-game season essentially we have the Apple Cup. We have Oregon, Oregon State. We have the Iron Bowl. We have, and maybe it's a chance to rekindle. Maybe it's just like, okay, one off, we have Texas, Texas A&M. We revisit some of that. It's not a season, but we say, okay, with schools that were within, and I know I screwed up my driving uh, distances and times before. I think I, I looked up two schools that were probably in the middle of a traffic zone. You know, it was probably backing up against Atlanta traffic or something, but I would my solution be no season. Let's just play a every and everything on the line pride filled rivalry weekend Cinco de Mayo weekend or something like that or all of May. No, I it, I like the idea. I, teams have scheduled scrimmages with one another in the spring before. 
That that's not unheard of. So I I was hoping you would bring that up because I have seen some some conjecture that that could be a potential avenue if things really go sideways. That that could potentially be an option to just have but that think about, one game season against a rival. Think about teams that have a lot of not a lot but multiple legitimate rivals so okay so if we're going to go through the biggest rivalries in the sport we're obviously going to say alabama auburn that's a no-brainer play the iron bowl on this cinco de mayo weekend cinco de tayo if i may sure um cinco de tayo weekend we have the iron bowl but then where does that leave Georgia? They don't get the Auburn game. So Georgia, Georgia Tech, I suppose. You have Clemson, South Florida? Carolina. Georgia, Florida? Uh, yeah, Georgia, Florida makes sense. You're right. Georgia, Florida, they play in Jacksonville, wherever. Okay, so we have Georgia, Florida, and then Clemson, South Carolina, but then Florida State, Miami, because we're not going to have Florida, Florida State. So there, I'm just saying there's a, a number of really interesting dominoes. Having in the Northwest, I would rather see, as an Oregon fan, I'd rather see Oregon-Washington. I think there's more bad blood there than either Oregon-Oregon State or the Apple Cup. But I don't know. It's probably safer to keep... And I know Washington State is pretty far east. We have the big game, Stanford-Cal. You have UCLA-USC. No travel there. Uh, Texas-Oklahoma. I would suppose after the last couple years, if we're taking away Alabama from LSU... The last couple of years, at least two years ago, it was a crazy game. So I guess LSU A&M? No. no. I know there's LSU Ole Miss history, but I, I think that's probably the way to go there. Big Ten, you have Michigan, Ohio State. I suppose Wisconsin, Minnesota. You play for the Axe. Yeah. So Penn State, Michigan State? What I is that, guess. the land grant? Yeah, I guess. Penn State, Michigan State. Um... Who else in the ACC? What else is moving? Like Pitt? Yeah. I, I would love for it to be Pitt, West Virginia, and just do it based on proximity. You got options. I I hope it doesn't come to that, but I've I've seen a lot written about that lately that potentially that would be on, on the table. If, so Oklahoma if everything... State, who would Oklahoma State play? Uh, Iowa State? I mean, you have, you have at least history there recently within yeah. the last decade. Oklahoma would have to pick between Texas and Oklahoma State. They'd probably pick... You got to pick... Te- who would you rather gotta, beat if you're you an Oklahoma pick fan? Texas. It's got to be Texas. Yeah. got to be Texas. I don't know. Uh, All right. So well, then you have TCU Baylor. Oh, I, I Can you imagine... I mean, I, you'd probably have to space it over the month. It couldn't be Cinco de Tayo. But that'd be a hell of a May, which is already an amazing sports month in normal times. It could be Mayo de Tayo. <laughs> Mayo de Tayo. There you go. Um, All right. That's actually getting me pretty worked up, Ty. I All like right, that. Well, well, let's work on a helmet schedule for that. 65 okay. games. <laughs> let's figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so now we're fully on the spring side of things here. Now, I have made no bones about the fact that I think this is where it is headed. Mm-hmm. A couple scenarios here, they actually closely mimic what we are or what we've already discussed in the fall, right? What if there is a 10 game spring schedule or a five to seven game spring schedule? I So what I've heard a lot of lately is that if they do it in the spring, they would probably shoot for a 10 game slate that the 12 game thing would probably be uh, out of the picture. It's a bit much, each team yeah. Would, yeah. Each team would shoot for 10 games. I have seen some uh, difference of opinion when it comes to when they would start that season, but basically sometime after the Super Bowl, it might end at some point in like early May, at which point they would try to stage some sort of, some sort of uh, regular, quote unquote, regular postseason. I saw that the gentleman who runs the Liberty Bowl made a comment saying, in effect, if the season moved, the Liberty Bowl would try to move with it and try to come up with some way yeah, to play Yeah, I'm sure that the game. Liberty Bowl wants that. Sure, of course. Yeah, and I mean, who knows <laughs> if other bowl games would follow suit, but it um, it would present a logistical challenge, I'm sure. All I know is that's at least one bowl chairman who says, yeah, sure, we, we'd be interested in it if, it if it made sense. So you play a full 10-game slate, presumably in the springtime, 
And, and I hope in the springtime we have this thing better under control. Maybe you can get more fans in the stands. And more fans in the stands at home sites probably means more fans in the stands, or at least some fans in the stands at bowl games as well. So I think if you've got a 10-game spring season, the most likely scenario here would be that they try to try to pull this thing off like they normally would. Maybe there aren't like 48 bowl games or however many we're up to now, but I got to believe they would try to do a playoff. I got to believe that they would try to do some semblance of a of a modified bowl season as well. Yeah, I I see that my concern would be packing airports and planes for games that ultimately mean even less than usual. Why, you know, why do Notre Dame fans need to be traveling to New York from the Midwest for the Pinstripe Bowl, even if it's a half-empty Yankee Stadium? Why are we traveling to the Liberty Bowl from Louisiana? Why? I mean, if it's if we have drivable sites and it's drivable bowl tie-ins and we just move the Liberty Bowl for a year to I don't know. Uh, we move the Liberty Bowl to Miami. We move the Liberty Bowl to, you know, in a place where we can have a number of bowl games in the same stadium over a given amount of time. I still, I don't know. It still strikes me as the actual least important thing here is making sure, and I understand from a school payout perspective, it's important, but a lot, you know, having the New Mexico Bowl, having the the I know some of these the bowls That's I'm about to rattle Gilded, off don't exist. <laughs> Sorry, Gilded New the Gilded New Mexico, Mexico. having you know having Minicare, having you know Meineke, having all of these bowl games which sort of exist because their TV shows go off happen. I don't know. It strikes me as not keeping with the spirit of trying to to modify the season for the better. Tony the Tiger would like a word, sir. <laughs> Sorry, Duke's Mayo. Well, I think if we get a 10-game slate, they're going to try it. But uh, it will be modified. I think it's going to have to be modified. I don't think every bowl game can can afford to make that move. Um, and, you know, we already addressed sort of this uh, scenario in which we've got a five to seven-game slate. Maybe they can't get 10 in. Maybe there's more virus to deal with. Maybe there's delays along the way. Five to seven-game slate. Again, it ends like late spring. Something something akin to that. Uh, if you have a five-game slate, let me just come back to this point for a second. Yeah. Are you able to stage a playoff? Probably a minimum nine games to have a full-fledged playoff where it's just like, okay, we, we were able to play nine college football games in the fall or the spring. So we've done something right in terms of protection and we haven't had to shut down the season because of anything catastrophic. We've earned a playoff. Five games? I mean... I, I am now gravitate, gravitating much towards just anarchy, chaos of yeah. only playing the season in October, playing two games a week, two quarters each game. <laughs> That's what I want, Ty. I want express rules. Hmm. I want personal pan college football. Well, the Transperfect Music City Bowl or a Tropical Smoothie Cafe Frisco Bowl. Yep. Would be sorely disappointed, Dan. As Red would our good bowl. friends yeah. over at, at Duke's Mayo. Mm-hmm. But uh, do you have a mayo preference, brand wise? No, I'm not a big mayo guy. We talked about this. Uh, that's too bad. There's good mayos out there. Yeah, you, you got Japanese mayo, Cupai, I think it's how it's pronounced, mayo. Hellman's, Duke's is pretty good. I'm going to get a pallet of Duke's mayo shipped to my house, aren't I? That's fine. Secret weapon for grilled cheese, Ty. If you like a good grilled cheese, spread some mayo on each on each of those oh. Uh, oh, pieces of bread. Stop. Oh, stop, Ty. Stop, it stop, caramelizes stop. real nicely. You got stop. oil in care. there? I don't care what it malizes. Whipped egg whites just... and oil, Ty. Come on. No, 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 no. Uh, write in. It's all verbal. At gmail.com. Let us know your thoughts on, on the matter. What would you like to see in a postseason in any of these scenarios? Again, we're talking maybe some wish, wishful thinking, but... Full 12-game slate, maybe a 10-game slate, maybe only five to seven games. Different teams play in different amounts of games. Right. Um, you know, we've had weird suggestions that have come into the inbox. I'd, I'd love to read more. I'm just so fascinated by by this scenario. I am with you, ultimately, um, you know, just from a fan interest standpoint. Anything different is at least interesting. We always see a little bit of a drop-off towards the end of the year. And presumably that's because folks 
they root for a team and then they're out of it and then they they stop paying attention. That happens to a lot of us. Right. Um, and, and we see it. We don't get as many downloads towards the latter half of the season. That's just the mm-hmm. normal course of doing business here on a podcast. But um, yeah. you introduce a quirk, like an asymmetrical season, like a really asymmetrical season, or move it to the spring, or some sort of flex scheduling scenario. That to me is very interesting. And uh, I I don't want to speak for all of our listeners, but I think I can speak for most of them when I say that that is worth tuning in to to listen to more of and hopefully to call the reverb line about just because it's so different. It's so unprecedented. We'll never have it again, hopefully. And, you know, it could make for a very interesting outcome with a lot of debate. I'm not po- you can correct me on this because this, I think, is in your home state, the Little League World Series. Williamsport, Pennsylvania, of course. We have some sort of pseudo Little League World Series rule where we have five conference games and then whoever is determined to be the champion, and maybe it's like a World Cup element to it, so it's like points for, points against, and you get more points for road wins and road scoring, whatever. We we sort of come up with a traveling team scenario. I assume you're familiar with how you know, sometimes in local sports leagues, you know, there'll be a, a little league baseball league, um, little, I guess just little league. And we have all these teams playing. And then at the end of the, the season, there's an all-star game, an all-star I team. Was, and then that all-star team becomes the traveling team. I was on You take team, on yeah. other little leagues. Right. You know, you're, sure. I did that with basketball. Um, and so at the end of the season, in the way that we have, and I know it's like, you know, the team from Tom's River is the Northeast, right? It's it's the same team. It's not like they've drafted the best players from upstate New York and New Jersey and Connecticut, whatever. But what if we get that? What if at the end of the year... It's whoever, like AAU if, all over again. Correct. We have AAU college football where, okay, let's say Mario Cristobal in Oregon, they go 5-0, and nobody else is undefeated, the Pac-12 beats itself up. But then Mario Cristobal says... Okay, I'm I'm now the coach and I have a limit to the number of Oregon players I can select for the West team. So he okay. he selects, okay. you know, Panay Sewell and CJ Verdell and whoever on, on their defense, Kayvon Thibodeau, and that's that. He can he can't select more than eight players from any team, you know, and they set a geographical boundary. So this is how you get to go from five standard season games, and all of a sudden we then have an eight-team regional playoff. An eight-team regional playoff that's inclusive. So then you get buy-in because, okay, maybe there's a couple Fresno State players on this team. Maybe there's a couple San Diego State players. Maybe there's a couple of, you have ASU players, you have Utah players, and then they're taking on, and there's some sort of G5 uh, minimum that you have to take a certain number of G5 players from your region as well. Write in, solidverbal at gmail.com. <laughs> um did you see that Trevor Lawrence got I saw engaged? That. Yeah. Um, seems early. Yeah, it's a little early. But best of luck. I mean this genuinely. Best of luck to him. But uh, I speak for myself when I say Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That's my full. Solid verbal. <laughs> That's my full at gmail.com is the email. Solidverbal.com is the website. Don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to rate and like and review and follow us on social media at instagram on facebook on on where else youtube got a twitter got all Mm -hmm. sorts of stuff also when you're at the website sign up for the newsletter dan we'll be back on friday talking more college football with all y'all fun show tonight talking about postseason possibilities again write in let us know your thoughts we'd love to hear more I think we're probably going to go to a more reality-based Friday I think so. I think so. I think, yeah, I think that's probably the move. But I enjoyed this, nonetheless. For that guy over there, my good friend, Dan Rubenstein, for myself, Ty Hildebrand, we will be back in a few days. In the meantime, stay safe, stay solid. Peace. Peace.